the August 2023 edition of Agribusiness News, brought to you by the Farm Advisory Service. Agribusiness News helps you to scan your horizon, prepare for industry changes, and keeps you abreast of the latest research and policy updates. Along with our regular monthly updates on policy briefs, arable, beef, sheep, and milk, in this edition, we're also bringing you two sector overviews on sheep predators and pigs. We'll also be bringing you news on marketing and social media and net zero in the whiskey industry. Hello, my name is Christine Beaton and I'm the editor of this month's edition. First up, we have this month's news. With the new football season underway, the weather across Europe is very much a game of two halves, with large bands of heavy rain hindering harvests across northern Europe in sharp contrast to the extreme temperatures and devastating fires in southern Europe. Coupled with the cessation of the Black Sea Grain Initiative and the recent bombing of Ukrainian ports, grain traders are monitoring global harvest reports intensely as they try to balance supply with demand. In this edition of Agribusiness News, George Chalmers highlights that the pig sector is continuing to show signs of recovery. Leslie Wiley reports that while beef deadweight prices have continued to fall throughout July, it is hoped that this is due partly to a reduction in demand linked to the start of the school holidays. However, there is also a downward pressure on retail prices linked to the strengthening of the pound, lower-priced Irish beef imports and the value of heavy cattle hides dropping in recent weeks. Following her study tour to Europe, Lorna Shaw discusses that having specially trained guard dogs or sheep flocks may help in deterring predators. Saving black lost lambs could help Scottish sheep farmers take advantage of the possible new markets highlighted in Kirsten Williams' sheep article. And with around 50% of farm businesses having one or more diversification enterprises, Sasha Grierson looks at the importance of marketing and social media as a means of boosting profile and product sales. As net zero targets start to impact across supply chains, Brady Stevens looks at the measures that the whisky industry is looking at and how this might impact on arable farmers going forward. The planned research into high heat tolerance of crops could not be more timely given that globally July is expected to be the hottest on record. Moving on to this month's policy briefs. The UK has become the first non-founding country to join the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership. This partnership was originally formed in 2018 between Australia, New Zealand, Vietnam, Singapore, Japan, Malaysia, Brunei, Chile, Peru, Mexico and Canada, who collectively generate 13% of the world's income. Although the UK already has trade deals in place with most of the countries, with the exception of Brunei and Malaysia, the hope is that with the pledge to eliminate or reduce 95% of import charges or tariffs, that new markets will be developed for UK products and services. While this agreement differs from the EU in that the members can have different standards, for example, for animal welfare and food security, the UK will not have to compromise on aspects such as animal welfare and the use of hormones. As it may take around a year for the final details of the trade deal to be negotiated and ratified, and it is hoped that further countries like China and Taiwan will join the partnership, the potential benefits of this deal should be regarded as a slow burner rather than one which will evolve overnight. 
Given the complexities of free trade agreements, the Scottish Government has recently published the findings of its commissioned research into the impact on Scottish agriculture of free trade agreements between the UK and four selected non-EU partners, namely Australia, New Zealand, Canada and the Gulf Corporation Council. In general, the report highlights that while the sheep sector is expected to come under pressure and the jury is still out on the arable sector, there is potential for export growth for the beef and dairy sectors linked to interest by Canada in Scotch beef and high quality cheeses. The report states that it is evident that the UK and Scottish farming industries have entered a decade of disruption. The industry is grappling with multiple challenges arising from inflation, policy reform, structural challenges, labour shortages and greenhouse gas emissions. However, the future success of the trade deals and ultimately the Scottish food and drink sector will largely depend on Scottish producers with the support of the Scottish Government capitalising on their high standards of production and the quality of the food produced coupled with an aggressive global marketing campaign linking in their increasing green credentials, which is no mean feat, but the industry is starting with globally sought-after products. With harvest underway, farmers and growers are reminded moving vehicles and machinery on public roads requires an annual dispensation from Police Scotland. Dispensations are only given for widths of up to 4.3 metres, including implements, and for a radius of up to 20 miles from the applicant's base. It is not necessary to list all the implements being transported on the application form, only the measurements of the largest implement. The measurements should be taken from the widest and longest point, including any mirrors, overhangs, etc. Application forms are not currently online, so must be posted or emailed to Police Scotland. Agricultural dispensation application forms can be downloaded from Police Scotland website and the link is in the show notes. While the avian influenza protection zone across Scotland was lifted on the 4th of July 2023, RSPB Scotland and the National Trust for Scotland are concerned that more seabirds may be succumbing to the virus. In particular, there has been a rise in reports of dead kittiwicks, black-headed gulls, herring gulls, terns and guillemots being washed up on the east coast of Scotland. While there can be other factors involved in wild bird deaths, reporting all sightings of dead birds to bird track and the Dead Wild Bird Service provides an early warning of where the virus may have hit and allows the British Trust for Ornithology to track its movement across the UK. The Scottish Government have announced an extension to the Croft House Grant Scheme. Eligible Crofts can now apply for a grant of up to £38,000 towards the cost of home improvements, which will help save energy. Further details are available on the Rural Payments website. Scottish islanders facing high fuel, food and energy costs are to receive an additional £1.4 million in support to help meet cost of living pressures. The new funding will be delivered through the Islands Cost Crisis Emergency Fund. The fund criteria have also been extended to potentially include struggling local businesses. 
Thinking about policy, there has been a lot of talk about national reserves. The Scottish Government has committed to establishing a new national park by spring 2026. Why not listen to the latest episode from Farm Advisory Service podcast, Natural Capital, where they are talking about farming in a national park with farmers within the Loch Lomond and Trossachs National Park. Moving on to arable. July saw a tentative start to winter barley harvest for Scotland as inclement weather made harvesting a stop-start affair. Standing crops still show promise despite the unsettled conditions and there is still the potential for a good wheat and spring barley harvest given a fair August. These weather concerns continue to drive the market in the short term aside from the conflict in Ukraine and despite the recent rally in wheat price as Russia steps away from the export grain deal. The market has an underlying value factored in already in terms of war premiums which will continue to underpin values. However, for the UK, fundamentally, not a lot has changed. There remains a historically high level of feed grain carried over from last year, and with another large crop possibly to come, we will need to see additional demand soon for what is currently an uncompetitively priced export commodity. The value of the local Scottish distilling market for wheat cannot be underestimated in this context, especially as in the coming months, wheat will inevitably continue to be exported out of Russia and Ukraine by road and rail and through other ports and at very competitive prices. Further afield, extreme temperatures in the Mediterranean threaten spring crops of barley and maize, although this contrasts with cooler, wetter conditions in northern Europe. Scandinavia planted its spring malting barley late and Denmark is expecting yields down by a quarter. Good news for UK malting barley growers. Across in the US, the weather outlook is also looking less favourable, especially in the deferred forecasts, with talk of hotter, drier conditions, which again, may have a major impact on final spring crop yields and production. The USDA July report unexpectedly increased its forecast for the US wheat and maize crops and contrary to industry expectations, with a larger US wheat crop offset by smaller wheat crops expected in the EU27, Canada and Argentina, global wheat supply and demand is forecast to be finally balanced with stocks held by the major exporting nations at its lowest level, 54.7 million tonnes, since 2012-13. Even with the US maize crop being revised upward, changes at the total grain level globally are small. Total global grain production is still expected to exceed demand by a large surplus, 26.5 million tonnes. On the upside, the global tightness of wheat supply might mitigate the downward pressure expected in maize markets and the premium over maize futures could therefore strengthen. Feed oat values continue to be supported by the main buyer, Spain, with large premiums over feed barley. Generally, European oat markets continue to be supported by the lack of harvest sellers. At the end of July, UK rapeseed prices 
saw added benefit from the weaker sterling euro following the release of lower inflation figures. Farm selling increased dramatically through mid to late July as harvest ex-farm levels surpassed £400 per tonne for many, an increase of £100 per tonne in comparison to only two months ago. Whilst too early to draw conclusions on UK yield and quality, Eastern Europe appears to be faring better than West, with disappointing yields in France. New crop bean prices have risen in line with other commodities, and domestically, demand for feed beans has increased as compounders look to reduce their reliance on imported protein. Deadweight beef prices have continued to fall throughout July and prices of around £475 per kilogram are being quoted for R4L steers, with further reductions expected in the coming weeks. This drop in price has come at a bad time for store finishers as some of the more expensive forward stores bought in April will now be coming ready and with the fall in price and the tightening of weight restrictions, it may be a challenge to see a margin in some of these cattle. Whilst supply is steady, demand seems to have softened at the retail end, which has put a downward pressure on the price. This could be a hark back to pre-COVID consumer trends, where the school holidays played havoc with buying habits and demand for beef tended to drop off in July, but would pick up again late August once holidays etc. were passed and people's routines returned to normal. In addition to this, we have a significant widening of the gap between UK and Republic of Ireland beef prices, resulting in more imported Irish beef coming in and putting a ceiling on UK prices. This is down to Republic of Ireland supplies and the pound strengthening, which makes imports more attractive. Going forward, it is likely that we will see a tightening in the supply of cattle later on in August. But whether this has a significant impact on price will largely be dictated by demand. By August, we will see ABP take control of the Bridge of Allen processing facility and it may be a few months until we see the impact that this will have on the demand for cattle in Scotland. The store trade has remained strong for shorter keep cattle with fewer numbers available of all kinds. With many of the autumn season calf sales due to start in the next couple of months, it will be interesting to see how cautious finishers will be going into the winter off the back of the falling beef price. Looking at overall GB cattle numbers, there is a 0.8% reduction in the younger end of cattle on farm compared to 2022, but Scotland looks to have similar numbers. Will this mean a strong demand from south of the border for stores again? Mainland Europe has seen demand soften and prices ease even on the back of reduced production figures. The only countries bucking the downward production trend are Australia and Brazil, who are both seeing increases in beef production. AHDB reports that Australian beef imports to the UK in June totaled 384 tonnes. The trade agreement allows up to 20,616 tonnes per calendar year to be imported from Australia. 
It is worth noting that the average imports from Ireland per month is 15,400 tonnes. Falling wholesale beef prices in China due to weaker consumer demand have caused a backlog of product which is impacting the manufacturing beef trade globally with wholesale prices back 6% on the year. Cull cow trade has dropped by around 3% as expected on the back of the weakening demand for manufacturing beef and the strengthening of the pound with numbers available expected to rise in the normal pre-housing period. It is unlikely that there will be any significant price rises in the coming months, but returns from culled cows continue to be reasonable. With winter barley harvest finished in many parts of the country, with reasonable silage yields and spot feed prices dropping, we look to be in a better position than this time last year. Regular rainfall in July has given us continued grass growth with the right amount of warm temperatures to keep cattle happy outside. Whilst prices may be easing back, many of the challenges facing beef producers this time last year are a little bit smaller this year, hopefully leading to more optimism as we head into the autumn. Moving on to sheep. Lamb prices are now more in line with those of 2022 after the pressure on the price being felt at the start of the year. We have witnessed a prolonged hog season with a high carryover and the new season lambs showing a slow start, with the high price of feed and the slow spring. Now we have a good supply of spring lambs flowing through, we are seeing the typical seasonal price slip. The production of lamb in Spain, France and Greece is lower than normal due to flock reductions. The EU flock is currently at the lowest level since 2017. However, some countries have increased production, including Ireland, Italy and the Netherlands. With this, we have seen high EU lamb prices since the start of the year. For example, the French price has remained above €7.90 per kilogram dead weight. How we are seeing the export market suffering with inflation and competition from cheaper sources of protein. However, this reduction in the European flock and our competitive price versus French lamb can only be an opportunity for the marketing of the lamb crop 2023 over the coming months. The price differential between French and Australian lamb is extreme, with the French lamb being two and a half times the value. The Australian and New Zealand lamb has targeted the closer China and Middle East markets due to location and freight costs. There is a massive opportunity for the UK lamb to target this Middle Eastern market. Countries in the Middle East are reported to import 90% of their halal meat and the global Muslim population is vastly growing, which is increasing the global requirement for sheep meat. Within the UK, only 6% of our general population eats lamb once per week. 60% of the Muslim population eat lamb once a week. We only need to look at when the key Muslim festivals were in 2023 compared to the lamb and cull ewe price graphs to see the impact the additional demand makes on the sheep trade. Muslim festivals in 2023... Ramadan, 22nd of March to the 20th of April. Eid al-Fitr, 
21st to the 22nd of April. Eid al-Adha, 27th of June to the 1st of July. In 2030, there's likely to be two Ramadans in one year. This is due to the lunar calendar moving forward by 11 days every year. It is expected one will take place in January 2030 and the other in December 2030. The last time this happened was in 1997. The next, after 2030, will be 2063. Now, let's move on to sheep predators and lessons to be learned from the continent. The use of guardian dogs to prevent lamb losses through predators has been hitting the press in recent weeks, with a falconry in Inverness Shire having acquired two Marima dogs to train to protect sheep from the threat of sea eagles, a major cause of black loss, unexplained lamb losses, on many Scottish farms and crofts in the aim to help farmers to reduce lamb losses and help both species coexist. As part of the Euro Sheep Project, a knowledge-sharing network bringing together researchers, advisors and farmers within Europe funded by the European Union's Horizon 2020 Research and Innovation Programme. The author recently visited Turkey and France, where guardian dogs were a major topic of discussion and key to the success of their sheep industry. While the main predator challenge to the flock in both Turkey and the south of France was wolves, Learning from their experiences dealing with predators could benefit Scottish sheep producers. Running a guardian dog with a sheep flock was standard practice in the majority of sheep flocks in Turkey due to the high level of wolf attacks in the country and the free roaming nature of flocks. The two main breeds we saw during our visit were the Kangal and Anatolian sheep dogs. Both these breeds were large dogs and reached weights of up to 65 kilograms commonly. They were loyal to their owners but wary of strangers, which is understandable due to their protective nature. The dogs all typically had a dark muzzle and light body similar to the majority of sheep breeds in the country to allow the dogs to blend with the flock. Wolves were reintroduced into France in the late 1980s, with the first official sighting in the early 1990s. They are a protected species, leaving little options for farmers to protect their flocks. During our visit in May, we visited various farmers all running guardian dogs with the flock in the hope to reduce losses. The breed favoured in the region was the Italian Mariama sheep dog breed, a large white protection dog, up to 45 kilograms, renowned for being loyal to the flock and gentle with humans, However, protective against unknown predators. One farm we visited had lost 10 ewes since January due to wolves, with a neighbour losing 65. The difference was undoubtedly due to the strong team of dogs showing them to be effective. All dogs were imported from Italy and trained with a flock from the puppy with the help of government-funded training schemes. In the UK, depending on location, Farmers face a number of predators to sheep flocks, including sea eagles, foxes, badgers and domestic dogs. A 2019 ScotGov study found 37% of farmers surveyed reported sheep to be attacked, chased or killed by wildlife. 
sea eagles have also been identified as contributing to high levels of black loss on Scottish hill farms, which in some cases can equate to between 20 to 50% of lamb losses from birth to weaning. Losses of both sheep and lambs to predators and black loss are of severe economic impact on a sheep farming business. Not only through death, but a worrying instance can reduce overall flock performance linked to abortions, reduced feed intakes, reduced weight gain and fertility issues. Black loss of 35% in a 600-use Scottish blackface hill flock scanning 110% equates to 231 lambs lost. Given that at a current old season lamb live weight prices of £85 per head, that equates to a total loss in potential value of £19,635. Having sheep guard dogs deserves more than a passing thought. There is little positivity in milk markets. Milk volumes are still declining, as is the seasonal trend, with average daily production slightly ahead of last year. Little sign of any improvement in milk price on the horizon based on domestic wholesale price and the GDT auction. The latest milk production data shows that UK milk output for June 2023 was 1,267 million litres, 8.5% less than the previous month, but on par against June 2022. As of the week ending the 15th of July, daily milk deliveries were 0.6% above the same week last year at 33.33 million litres. According to GrassCheck GB, grass growth rates are now well above the four-year average at 67.1 kilograms of dry matter per hectare as of the 24th of July. Recent rains have enhanced grass growth rates and grass protein levels have improved across dairy, beef and sheep farms to 17.3% crude protein with an ME of 10.5 megajoules per kilogram of dry matter based on a 650 kilogram spring calving dairy cow consuming 15 kilograms of dry matter from grass. This equates to M plus 15.6 litres from grass alone. UK average milk price for June 2023 was 36.48 pence per litre, down 1.1 pence per litre from May, and 16% lower than June 2022. Milk processors have either reduced their price for August or held at the July price. Please note the following prices are in pence per litre. First milk manufacturing, 36.85. Muller, Muller Direct Scotland, 36.75. Graham's, 36. Arla Farms Manufacturing, 35.21. Lactalis and Fresh Milk Company, 35.5. Yew Tree Dairy, 37. The milk price that Arla's 2,100 farmer members in Great Britain receive for August will partly depend on how many points they score from 19 environmental sustainability measures. Up to 80 points are available at 0.03 euro cent 
per kilogram of milk, a maximum 2.4 euro cents per kilogram or 2.2 pence per litre. Trade in dairy commodity prices has been very quiet over the summer holiday period. Both market indicators, AMPE and MCVE, fell for July 2023, reflecting decreases to the wholesale prices of butter, skim milk powder and mild cheddar from the 26th of June to the 17th of July. Only cream showing a 1% uplift in price. Limited demand and falling prices at the GDT auction are continuing to put downward pressure on prices. The latest GDT auction held on the 18th of July returned another negative change to the price index of minus 1% from the previous auction to an average of $3,289 per tonne. Five out of the last eight auctions have shown a downward trend in the price of dairy commodities sold. At this recent auction, cheddar dropped 10.1% to $3,955 per tonne and butter fell 2.7% to $4,705 per tonne. Although milk volumes are falling, there are still ample supplies around both here and in the EU. There is little demand for product and sellers are under pressure to reduce their prices. As demand is not likely to increase anytime soon, Chinese imports are well below historic levels keeping GDT auctions bearish. The only thing that would help stimulate an increase in the milk price is for volumes to crash. Currently, the futures commodities markets convert to a milk price of just below 30 pence per litre from now until the end of October and above 30 pence per litre for November and December. Therefore, there's still a possibility of further milk price reductions this autumn before things start to improve. Globally, milk volumes need to drop by 1-2% in order to correct the imbalance between supply and demand. With input costs still relatively high in comparison to the milk price, many farmers will be struggling with negative cash flows. According to the Scottish Dairy Cattle Association, there are now just 799 dairy herds in Scotland as of the 1st of July, a loss of 20 herds from this time last year. The average herd size is 223 and the total number of milking cows is 178,460, a drop of only 94 since the start of the year. Ayrshire is home to the highest number of herds at 209, followed by Dumfrieshire at 148 herds. Now let's move on to marketing and social media. Selling a farm product or service direct to the consumer can be a significant opportunity for many farm businesses in a range of sectors. Many successful businesses have added event venues, onward processing of primary produce, tourist accommodation, farm shops, cafes and on-farm experiences to their core farm business. For some, these have grown to overtake the original farm business in size and many have developed significant income streams to support the next generation returning to the farm business. In the startup phase of a new enterprise, initial budgets may not stretch to a full-scale suite of marketing tools or significant external marketing campaign. However, 
finding the time and resources to manage your own marketing campaign can reap rewards, especially with Farm Connection giving easy access to plethora of engaging stories. After the initial setup, marketing should be scheduled to take up a small portion of any one person's day. It sounds obvious, but it is important to remember that social media serves a specific purpose, which is to engage with your target audience. The stories about your farm and business should engage your audience and demonstrate the benefits that your product can bring to them and how it can enrich their lives. When thinking about your product and why a consumer should choose yours over a competitor's, keep this to front of mind when designing campaigns. Although marketing's primary purpose is to help engage with the target audience to generate sales, it also has the extra side effect of forcing a fledgling business to hone their story and try different styles to find out what works and what doesn't for your product or offer. What stories deliver the best results and with whom? What is your market? There are five main social media platforms to engage with. They all have a different reason for existing and it is important to understand their individual purposes so that your time spent with them supports your business and sales goals. Also, how will you design a campaign for sales that speaks to the different demographics on each platform? Twitter is for news. It's hard to see its value as a sales platform for the farm diversification activities described here. However, it can be useful for last-minute special offers as a news item or for sharing your news. It can also help broaden your network of like-minded businesses. Facebook is focused on people-related stories of personal success, failure and often some struggle. How can you turn this into an opportunity for sales for your business? What aspects of your product talk to this concept? It is less obvious for an outstanding stake and more so for an on-farm nature walk. The other aspect of Facebook activity is that it is a very widely used platform amongst an older demographic with time and disposable income and the platform has a wide range of users. Many micro food businesses do all their business on Facebook. Instagram is an aspirational lifestyle choice for people to engage with. Does your product deliver this? What are you selling that could work here? Great pictures with happy people enjoying amazing views on farm as they celebrate their engagement, wedding, significant life event, holiday can be very compelling and generate sales leads. LinkedIn, a useful platform for recruiting staff and for demonstrating, as a business owner, where your personal values lie. Less obvious for sales. TikTok, well embedded now into the social media mix. If the concept of clips of footage on repeat is a struggle for you to see how it turns into sales, then please think again. This is a platform for selling actual products. The algorithms are tight and are based on users' interests. The products that users are offered in their feed are honed to those interests. Interestingly, it is also increasingly popular amongst Gen Z users as a replacement for a Google search. 
Other sources include YouTube, a channel for storing video resources. It can be monetized and can turn into a business in its own right. Podcasting, exposure of your business aspiration and reputation on the range of farming podcasts can help you to hone and craft your story. MailChimp. Lastly, never forget the power of regular email communication with your current customers via the most widely used free platform for managing your mailing list. Keep it brief, not too often, and occasionally surprise and delight them with small offer for their loyalty. It's a small cost of sales that can work wonders. Now let's move on to the sector focus on pigs. A summer of optimism for the sector as pig prices keep rising on the back of falling feed prices with producer margins now back in the black. So far, 2023 has been notable for the UK pig sector as prices have continued to rise on a weekly basis, finally allowing producers to turn the corner after more than two years of substantial losses. Supplies of finished pigs are extremely tight as the sector has contracted and the shoots of recovery are there with some of the larger processes with pigs of their own now increasing sow numbers to maintain supply. From a low of 137 pence per kilogram in February 2022, the standard pig price has now reached just under 225 pence per kilogram in less than 18 months a rise of 64%. Pig meat from the EU, for so long the cheap alternative that has kept a lid on UK prices and displaced it from supermarket shelves, has also risen substantially over the past 18 months as sow numbers have also dropped dramatically on the continent with the influential German price now the equivalent of 217 pence per kilogram. Slaughter weights have remained consistently between 88 and 89 kilograms for some time, despite the reduced numbers coming forward. Numbers slaughtered weekly in England, Scotland and Wales were 41,700 and 26,700 lower in the first two weeks of July 2023 than the same weeks in 2022. While processors did pull pigs forward as numbers first started to reduce at the start of the year, the processing sector seems to have adjusted and contracted to match the fall in supply, with some sites closing and others moving to four-day weeks. For much of the past few years, cull sow values have been extremely low, partly due to Brexit and also due to the greater numbers coming forward as farmers either reduce sow numbers or disperse herds altogether. While February 2022 saw cull sow values at around 20 pence per kilogram, prices have risen steadily since then, with a cull sow now worth around 140 pence per kilogram. The much improved outlook for the sector in terms of finished pig prices and reduced feed costs has also led to much more demand from specialist finishers with 7kg wieners trading at £55 per head, with any surplus pigs finding a ready buyer. Even though prices have continued to rise to record levels, the latest published margins from AHDB for quarter one of 2023 showed pig farmers were just short of breaking even. 
total costs have fallen considerably from the peak of £240 per kilogram, £214 per pig, in quarter two of 2022, to £213 per kilogram, or £189 per pig, by quarter one in 2023, with prices received rising to £211 per kilogram, or £187 per pig. Apart from the rise in prices received, the main driver was the fall in feed prices, which had fallen from 175 pence per kilogram to 139 pence per kilogram over the same period, falling from an unprecedented 73% of production costs to a more normal 65%. The next set of published results are expected to show a positive margin as prices have continued to rise and feed prices have continued to fall. The reduction in finished pigs in the UK has had knock-on effects to both imports and exports. The latest import figures for the month of May 23 revealed an increase of 9,300 tonnes of pig meat, 16%, were imported to the UK compared to April. Imports from Denmark, Germany and the Netherlands accounted for nearly 58% of the total imports. This has been blamed on reduced availability of UK pig meat for the home market. Conversely, the reduced availability of UK product at home has seen exports fall slightly in May by 1,000 tonnes, 4%, compared to the previous month, falling to 24,000 tonnes. More interesting was the year-on-year reduction, with 12,000 less tonnes exported compared to May 22, again for largely the same reason. A commercial farm in Italy has now been affected as African swine fever continues to move across Europe, spreading both in the wild boar populations and, as is suspected in Italy and several other outbreaks, by human activities. UK producers are being asked to review the biosecurity measures and remain vigilant, with illegal meat imports from affected areas still being intercepted at ports. Continuing tight supplies supporting prices in the short and medium term combined with reduced feed prices will allow producers to claw back some of the losses made over the past few years. Whether profits are high enough to provide the confidence to make investments or expand remains to be seen. Finally, we'll move on to net zero and the whisky industry. The Scotch whisky industry has set ambitious goals for achieving net zero, with the Scottish Whisky Association, SWA, pledging to reduce, avoid and offset their local emissions in their constituent distilleries by 2040. SWA members have already made significant progress, achieving a 53% reduction in emissions between 2008 and 2020. And many distilleries are on track to achieve net zero ahead of the 2040 target. Importantly, the SWA target is limited to their Scope 1 and Scope 2 emissions and excludes upstream emissions, Scope 3. Scope 1 is direct emissions from burning fuel on site. Scope 2 
is emissions from the creation of purchased electricity, heat and steam. Scope 3. Supply chain emissions embedded in purchased raw materials, goods and services. Also includes transportation, distribution, processing, use and end-of-life treatment of sold products. This is similar to goals set by other food and drink sector stakeholders, for example, Tesco and Sainsbury's, which have comparable targets set for 2035. In the context of whisky production, scope 1 and 2 is limited to maltings, distillation, maturation, blending, bottling and warehousing. The primary source of scope 1 and 2 emissions for distilleries is heat generation for the distilling process. There is a recognition in the industry that whisky is a product embedded and crucially dependent on a well-functioning landscape. Therefore, whisky producers accept that they need to go further and take responsibility for the rippling effects the industry has on Scottish environment. SEPA's Scottish Whisky Sector Plan gives the upstream effects of whisky production as Greenhouse gas emissions 1. Nitrate emissions and diffuse pollution from production of cereals 2. Greenhouse gas emissions from production and transport of raw materials 3. Greenhouse gas emissions and impacts on biodiversity from peat extractions and burning Other impacts 1. Impacts on water quality and ecology from extraction to irrigate cereals. 2. Impacts on quality and structure of soils from cereal production. Many distillery operations have taken it upon themselves to put sustainability at the centre of their values, embracing a holistic life cycle view and scrutinising their operations from grain to glass. Barley makes up 63% of Scotland's cereal crop and the whisky industry makes up a large proportion of demand. As distillery buyers look to cut emissions associated with the barley they are sourcing, this will drive a race to the bottom and innovation among cereal producers and agronomists. Harriet Watt University's International Centre for Brewing and Distilling has launched a two-year project to trial sustainable fertilisers on barley crops to replace high-footprint fertilisers. These alternative biostimulants are made from algae, bacteria and yeast. The team at Harrier Watt, in collaboration with University College Dublin, are examining their effects on health, yield, high heat tolerance, enzyme values, soluble protein content and flavour in the resulting malts. Other supply chain actors are doing their part also, with Simpsons Malt launching a £45 million project to install a high-voltage electrical boiler which will use surplus energy from wind farms and reduce their scope 1 and 2 emissions by 55%, significantly reducing emissions embedded in their produced maltings. Thanks very much for listening to this audio edition of the August 2023 Agribusiness News. Remember to like Agribusiness News to get notified of future episodes of this monthly podcast. This edition was edited by Christine Beaton and included articles written by Christine Beaton, Mark Bauscher-Gibbs, 
Leslie Wiley, Kirsten Williams, Lorna Shaw, Lorna McPherson, Sasha Grierson, George Chalmers and Brady Stevens. Presented by myself, Tiffany Stevenson and produced by Alistair Trail.